Do you believe that stress can be related to sickness? Do you believe that stress can lead to or worsen sickness? I bet you do, and rightly so. Stress is not a physical disease. It's not a virus or a bacteria. Nevertheless, there's no shortage of medical studies which have strongly established a link between life stress and sickness, even death. Studies have shown that stress worsens or increases the risk of medical conditions like obesity, heart disease, Alzheimer's, diabetes, and even asthma. It doesn't take much to establish the link between stress and sickness. As you probably know, God designed our bodies with a flight or fight mechanism to help us when we're in danger or threatened. And during a crisis, your body will release hormones like adrenaline, cortisol, that will help you fight or run away. But what happens if you're exposed to a prolonged threat or stress? That, that's what stress is, a prolonged crisis. It leads to an overexposure of these hormones, and that messes your body up. So, for example, it's why a doctor would tell you that if you're stressed, you're more likely to get the flu. Not because you're some flu magnet, but just because your immune system is weaker. Heart disease is another big area linked to stress. Stress has been tied to high blood pressure and an increased heart rate. Both of those are are bad if you have a heart condition. As an extreme example, acute stress, like a crisis, has been observed to trigger heart attacks leading to death. So maybe you know someone, they've got a heart condition, they get some sudden bad news, like a loved one has passed away, and they're so shocked by that stress, they have a heart attack and they die. So talk about stress-related sickness. So again, I bet most of you already understand a little relationship between stress and sickness. Maybe you've even experienced it yourselves. But how about this? What about sin? Do you believe there's a relationship between sin and sickness? Do you believe someone can have personal sin in their life and it would lead to real sickness in their body, physical sickness in their body? You might be thinking, hey, not so fast. We, we don't want to. We don't want to go there. That we don't cross that bridge. That that's not how it works, right? Many people are reluctant to make this connection. They're fine connecting stress and sickness, but even Christians sometimes are unwilling to connect sin and sickness. But are they so different? Like stress, sin is it's not a pathological disease. It's not a virus or a bacteria or anything. It's something that you do that comes to affect your mind or your inner man. But is it so hard to believe that it can likewise affect your body, just like stress? After all, doesn't sin produce stress in a way even? Have you ever tried to hide your sin, cover up that which you know is wrong? It produces all the same effects on your body, like like stress, for example. Fear, anxiety, headaches, stomach aches, loss of appetite, insomnia. Wasn't that King David's own testimony when he tried to cover up his sin sin of adultery? He later testified in Psalm 32, verse 3, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. So again, we merely ask, is there a relationship between sin and sickness? As Christians, knowing what we know about the fall, part of us has to say yes, because at the very least, before the fall, there was no sickness, there was no death. After the fall, there is sickness, there is death. So something happened there with with that sin at the fall. There must be some connection, but, but what is it? How far does it go? What exactly is the relationship between sickness and sin? Does sin actually cause sickness? If so, how? 
when, how often, why? Does this sickness come from God or is it from the devil? How could God use or even afflict a person with sickness? I I thought God's our healer. Do you have answers to all these questions? Well, today we're going to see if we can do just that and, and figure this out. Now, real quick, you're probably wondering, where is this coming from? Seems like a rather odd topic from left field, and in a way it is. Not too long ago, we finished a study through the book of Mark. Pretty soon, we're going to start Philippians, but in between, we've been covering some other passages and topics. And last week in particular, we studied in depth the Lord's Supper from 1 Corinthians 11, specifically the manner of partaking the Lord's Supper. That's something the Corinthians were doing wrong, In fact, they so mocked and abused the Lord's Supper that it led to some real consequences for them. And do you remember? 1 Corinthians 11, verse 29, Paul said, For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep, meaning they're dead. So that's a stunning revelation. That's a very clear connection. They sinned, and so as a result, they got sick, and some of them even died. He just just says it. Very clear, and we learned that last time. The Corinthians were bringing sin to the Lord's table, abusing and mocking the, the Lord's Supper. And so God disciplined them, some with sickness, some with death. It's a pretty stunning revelation if you've never heard that before. Verse 32 in 1 Corinthians made clear this was God's doing. And thankfully, though, it wasn't him condemning them. It was him disciplining them as a father. Verse 32 reads, But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Nevertheless, we found a pretty clear connection between their sin and then their sickness. And if that's new to you, it it can be shocking. It can be strange. You might wonder, how can God do that? Why would God do that? Isn't God supposed to heal us? How could he allow them or afflict them with sickness? How how does that work? How often does God do this? Does he still do it? If so, what kind of sicknesses are we talking about? Does every sin come with its own sickness? How does it work? Basically, what is the relationship between sickness and sin? These are all good and valid questions, none of which we had time for last week. It wasn't really our focus. We were just narrowing in on the the manner of partaking the Lord's Supper. Still, though, I knew that passage would raise a bunch of questions, which are all good, and so I planned on a a follow-up message to take them further and try and clarify that relationship between sin and sickness. And so that's what we're going to do today. Our goal is twofold, to understand the biblical relationship between sin and sickness, And then to know how to respond. How are we to respond? This is one area where I hear or overhear speculation among Christians, hearsay, personal opinion, superstition. You don't need any of that. You just need to be equipped with what God's word says about this relationship between sickness and sin. That you might know how to respond rightly to sickness and sin. So that's what we're going to try and figure out. Now, this is going to be more of a a, a biblical survey. So to help with organization, let me give you four biblical truths about the relationship between sickness and sin. Four biblical truths about the relationship between sickness and sin. Number one, biblical truth number one, 
there is a connection between sickness and sin. Put it pretty simply, there is a relationship between sickness and sin. It's really an unavoidable conclusion from Scripture, especially when you understand the intersection of physical and spiritual in mankind. As humans, God created us not merely as physical creatures, but also as spiritual creatures, and they really come together. So in Genesis 2, for example, God formed Adam by taking dust from the ground and then breathing his life into it. Only then did he become a living being. We are not complete beings without body and spirit together, and they're intertwined. So it should not surprise us that something in the spiritual realm like sin could affect something in the physical realm like our bodies. And that fact is made clear in Genesis 3 at the fall. You all know God commanded Adam and Eve, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. And then what did they do? They ate from it, but they didn't die. Or, or did they? Indeed, we actually find they did die that day, spiritually, meaning they were cut off and separated from God. And on that same day, physical death was introduced to God's creation as he killed an animal to cover their shame. In fact, it's only by his grace that they did not physically die that day as well because he had a plan of redemption. He he could have. But nonetheless, they still would physically die. And so would all mankind. It wasn't supposed to be like that. There was no sin and sickness and death in the Garden of Eden. But with the introduction of sin, so came sickness and eventually death. Sickness is just a byproduct of that curse. The ultimate curse was death. God told Adam, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so man was cursed with sickness, leading ultimately to death. In addition, God cursed the ground itself. Creation itself was subjected to futility, such that now we can describe creation as fallen, broken, needing redemption itself, Romans 8 tells us. So whereas before the fall, there was no disease, there was no disaster, now there are both. So the first point I'm making is in the grand scheme of things, we ask, why is there sickness and death in this world at all? And the answer is, is sin. It is because of man's sin and rebellion against God through which he cursed us and this world. So now we are subject to death and decay, including our physical bodies. So yes, there very much is this general relationship between sin and sickness, ultimately death. Romans 5.12, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And James 1.15, then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. We're talking spiritual death and physical death death. So the connection between sin, sickness, and even physical death, it's very clear in scripture, but that's not all. So we're not only talking about this general relationship between sickness and death. Sometimes in scripture, there's also a very specific connection made between a person's sin and then their sickness. So for example, 2 Kings chapter 5, you've got Naaman, 
He's captain of the army of the Arameans, Israel's enemy, but he had leprosy. Still, God decided to, to magnify himself by healing Naaman. So he has Naaman come before Elisha. Elisha heals him of his leprosy. It says his skin became like that of a baby. Sounds pretty nice. Naaman was so amazed he wanted to give Elisha this massive reward. But Elisha said no. That this was not for monetary gain. This was for God's glory. So he sent him away without taking any of his money. But Elisha had a servant named Gehazi who was both outraged that Elisha let Israel's enemy go and also greedy. He wanted that treasure. So he ran after Naaman. First, he lied to Naaman saying, my master actually wants the money. And he, he took a bunch of money from Naaman. Then later he came back and he lied to Elisha saying he didn't go anywhere. But look, you're dealing with Elisha, not a safe person to lie to. God revealed to him Gehazi's evil deed and his judgment. So this was what Elisha said to Gehazi, 2 Kings 5.27. Because of all this, he says, Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. So there's a very clear example of sickness, in this case leprosy, being directly tied to his personal sin. Same thing happens in Numbers 12. Miriam, the sister of Moses, nonetheless, she comes to complain and grumble against Moses' leadership. So God strikes her with leprosy for seven days to discipline her. The connections are clear. There are many examples like this in Scripture where, in addition to this general connection, between sickness and sin, sometimes there is a very specific connection. This person sinned, and so they get sick. In fact, even in the Mosaic Covenant, God promised sickness as a form of discipline for Israel should they violate his covenant. Did you know that? Deuteronomy 28, verses 58 through 63, God said to them, If you are not careful to observe all the words of this law, to fear this honored and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring extraordinary plagues on you and your descendants, even severe and lasting plagues and miserable and chronic sicknesses. He will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they will cling to you. Pretty stark, stunning stuff. Also pretty clear. God made very clear to them that although he would richly bless them if they deviated from that covenant, he would very readily use sickness as a tool to discipline them, to bring them back nonetheless. But still, he would use the hammer of sickness to discipline wayward Israel. In fact, did you know there's even a connection between sickness and sin in the Ten Commandments? Remember commandment number five? Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and mother that... Your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives to you. In this case, God actually tied longevity and good health to obedience, specifically honoring your parents. First command with a promise, Paul tells us. So we could keep going. We could comment more on these passages. We could bring in other passages. But it's actually pretty clear, this first point, that both in general and sometimes even specifically, there is a connection between sin and sickness, whereby sin causes physical sickness. 
Now, with all that being said, with all that the Bible says about this connection between sin and sickness, it almost makes you believe that, gosh, anytime someone gets sick, it means they must have sinned, right? There's, there are a lot of connections in the Old Testament. Anytime someone has something bad happen to them, they must have done something bad to deserve it, right? That's what the Jews came to believe. It's called retribution theology. They came to assume that any time some disaster fell upon someone, they must have done some serious sin to deserve it. But this is not true. That is blatantly not true. And this leads us to biblical truth. Number two, there is not always a direct connection between sickness and sin. You can turn to John 5 if you want. John chapter 5. Truth number one, there is a connection between sickness and sin. But truth number two, there's not always a direct connection between sickness and sin. In other words, no, not every time that you get sick does it mean you must have sinned or done something wrong to deserve it. That's not how it works. As the saying goes, there's a ditch on both sides of the road here. To say that no sin is connected to sickness is wrong. To say that every sin is connected to sickness is likewise wrong. Rather, we must say there certainly can be a connection between sin and sickness, a direct one, but but not always. And Jesus himself showed us this balance. John chapter 5, he heals this man who's been crippled for 38 years. But then what does he tell him afterward? John 5, 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Nothing more is said, but Jesus makes pretty clear this man evidently was paralyzed because he had sinned. Maybe he was a bank robber and got paralyzed uh, during the heist. You know, we, we don't know. But he makes clear there, there was some connection in the past or potentially in the future as well. But at the same time, listen to this. Turn to John chapter 9. Not too long after this, Jesus performs another healing, this time on a man who was born blind. So it's not like he had anything to do with it. But before Jesus heals him, his disciples ask him a question. John 9, verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? You see, Christ's disciples were merely reflecting what every Jew de facto believed. Retribution theology. If you have cancer or diabetes or or leprosy, if you go deaf or blind, that means you or maybe even your parents must have done something so bad to deserve that sickness. Now look, sometimes, like we already established, sometimes there might be a connection between your sickness and a sin. We'll talk about that more later. But other times there might be no connection whatsoever directly. And so look what Jesus says, verse 3. Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We'll comment more on this verse later, but but clearly Jesus believes that not every sickness is directly connected to someone's personal sin. In other words, this blind man didn't do anything to deserve it. His parents didn't do anything to merit this blindness. There was another reason for it, which, like I said, we'll talk about later. But there are many more examples of sickness 
not being directly tied to sin. I'll read for you Luke 13, 1 through 3. It says, On the same occasion there were some present who reported to Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So what's going on? Some Jews, they came up to Jesus. They reported this story about some Galilean Jews. They went to sacrifice at the temple. And for some reason, Pilate had them slaughtered on the spot, mixing their blood with the sacrificial blood. The rest of the Jews, it's such a shameful way to die. So they reasoned before Jesus, those Galilean Jews, they must have been worse sinners to deserve such a shameful death. And Jesus says back, actually, no. They were not worse sinners, nor are these Jews before him morally superior. Rather, he makes a point, look, everyone's going to die. Everyone's going to perish because everyone's a sinner. So repent. That's the lesson he gives there. But there are examples like this, and he continues on in Luke 13 and elsewhere as well, that establish this second point, that although sickness may at times be directly connected to sin, at other times it may not be connected. There's not always a direct connection between your sickness and your sin. Now, if this is the case, then it means sometimes we might get sick for reasons other than personal sin, right? So it makes us wonder, you know, what other reasons are there that God would allow us to get sick? If it's not always for personal sin, why else do we get sick? So let me throw in here biblical truth number three. God allows sickness for various reasons. Obviously, I've got to explain, but God allows sickness for various reasons. Let me give you a brief theology of sickness. We've already established that connection in general between sickness and sin. The effects of living in a fallen, sin-cursed world, you're going to get sick, and, and it's, just, it's going to happen in general as a result of living in a fallen, sin-cursed world. Thankfully, God has a plan to redeem and restore this creation. Until then, though, God sovereignly uses sickness to accomplish his purposes. What purposes? Well, to get more specific, let me give you five major reasons God allows sickness. Five major reasons God allows sickness. Number one, to judge unbelievers for serious sin. To judge unbelievers for serious sin. God reserves the right to wield the hammer of sickness, even death, as a judgment on unbelievers, especially for serious sin. Some go so far into sin or blaspheme his name so much that he decides to take him out. That happened with Herod Agrippa I, you might recall. He was extremely wicked. He's the one that killed the Apostle James. He was persecuting other Christians. Meanwhile, he was boasting vainly in himself. There was one time where the crowd was basically hailing him as God, as a God. And he was soaking it all in. And God said it was enough and, and struck him down. So, for example, Acts 12, verses 22 and 23, says the people kept crying out, the voice of a God and not of a man to Herod. Verse 23 says, and immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and died. Not a good way to go. 
Now, don't misunderstand. That was actually a natural death, but it had a supernatural cause. Josephus tells us he, he suffered for five days with this intestinal pain before dying. We're not saying in all this there's no real pathological sickness, but we learn sometimes there is a connection to the spiritual realm. And in this case, this was God's judgment. He died in judgment because of his great sin. Other sickness is also brought on by the gross immorality of the wicked. Romans chapter 1 speaks of God's passive judgment on the wicked because of their sin, whereby he removes all of his restraining grace and just hands them over to their sin and their natural consequences, uh, the natural consequences of those sins. So Romans 1, 26 and 27, it says, For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. In the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. The last phrase is undoubtedly talking about STDs, which is a real problem in ancient Rome and of course today as well. Some sins have built-in consequences. And what the point he's making is sometimes God will just let someone go. He will remove restraining grace and let them have their sin. And they will basically be judging themselves. So if you're an alcoholic, well, you can basically expect cirrhosis of the liver. There are built-in consequences to sin in this fallen world. And sometimes God will use those as his judgment. Believers are susceptible to such judgments as well meaning they too can get sick as a result of their sin. Like we said, sometimes there is a connection. But for believers, God's purpose is different. So this leads to major reason number two, to discipline believers for serious sin. Number one, to judge unbelievers for serious sin. Number two, to discipline believers for serious sin. That's something we already learned big time last week in 1 Corinthians 11. For those with true faith in Christ, there's no condemnation. When you come to place your faith in Christ, you become God's adopted child. You pass out of judgment into eternal life. But that doesn't mean God won't judge you in this life for your serious sin, meaning discipline you, not to condemn, not to cast out, but to correct but to bring back. A little leaven leavens the whole lump and God will protect the purity of his people, the church. Sometimes he will do that by disciplining a wayward believer to to bring them back and to turn them away. Again, this fact was made very clear in our study of 1 Corinthians 11. They were abusing the Lord's Supper. God disciplined them with sickness to, to purify them and bring them back. This is also made clear in Hebrews 12. And if you're quick, you can turn there as well. Hebrews 12. You have a bunch of Jewish believers, and they were suffering persecution and affliction, just suffering in general. And so the writer reminds them of God's purposes in their suffering. He quotes Proverbs 3, and he says in Hebrews 12, verse 5, he says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him, for the Lord For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. He's reminding them that although, yes, they're they're suffering, and it may even be the Lord's discipline, but that doesn't mean 
They're no longer sons. They're still sons and daughters. God is still their good heavenly father. And he does not afflict them to judge them or condemn them, but to, to rebuke, to correct, to bring them back. Because what kind of a good father would God be if he did not lovingly correct his wayward children? In fact, verse 8, he says, But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. We're all sinners. And at times it's basically saying God will eventually discipline all of us to show us the sting of sin and to purify us. This is something you should expect at times, especially if you're living in unrepentant sin. The analogy he makes with parenting is pretty clear. I mean, if you have a child, they're holding a paper clip and they're going right for that electrical outlet and you don't stop them and, and correct them, that's a form of hatred. Rather, by, by correcting and disciplining that child, you are, you're trying to keep them from greater harm. And that is all that God is doing with us. Though it may sting at times, he is correcting us for our benefit. And so he says in verse 10 of Hebrews 12, of, of humanly parents, For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So it's clear. Sometimes God purposes sickness in the lives of believers to discipline them, to turn them away from their sin, to show them its effects, to turn them back so that they would not be condemned along with the world. Now, speaking of the world, God's purposes are not always so negative. Sometimes he allows sickness to save. Number three, third major reason God allows sickness, to bring unbelievers to salvation. To bring unbelievers to salvation. I bet some of you here came to faith through some sickness or some tragedy or suffering in your life. This is so often how God takes the bad and uses it for good. That's what he did, for example, with King Nebuchadnezzar. Remember? Nebuchadnezzar was an extremely wicked pagan king. He was filled with this intense pride and boasting, not giving glory to God. So God struck him, Daniel 4, humbled him, and afflicted him basically with severe mental illness. He went out of his mind for a period of time. But God later restored his mind, and along with it, Nebuchadnezzar came to believe in the one true God and give him the glory. Nothing can humble a person like sickness, and that humility is the starting place of, of faith. Nothing can take all the air out of your lungs like that call from the doctor saying you have cancer. But sometimes God allows such sicknesses to humble a person, to produce repentance, and bring salvation as they call on Christ. But even when you're saved, God is not done with you. Number four, to bring believers to Christ-likeness. To bring unbelievers to salvation. And then number four, to bring believers to Christ-likeness. And here you can turn to 1 Peter 1 if you like. I told you we were bouncing around today. 1 Peter chapter 1. Sometimes you might have a true believer who sins and then gets sick as a spiritual consequence for that sin. 
But other times, true believers may, may not sin at all, yet still get sick. Why? Well, another spiritual reason Scripture gives at times is so as to refine and purify their faith, to produce in them a greater holiness and Christ-likeness. Back when we preached through 1 Peter, we, we learned this lesson extremely well. 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed with various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we have to include sicknesses in these trials. God uses them to refine, to purify our faith. He wants 24-karat faith, so to speak, and will sometimes put his people in the fire to, to, to melt out that dross, to take it away, and to leave what's behind a purer people. If this troubles you, just remember, Jesus suffered first. It's not like you're alone here, and he was innocent. We are not. Yet God still intends to call us into the fellowship of his sufferings, it says. And God uses these sufferings to make us more like him. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, where he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may result, rejoice with exultation. Again, this can be a hard pill for some to swallow, but you have to remember, from God's perspective, what's the best thing that can happen to us? From his perspective, what is his primary desire for our lives here on earth? It's not our health. It's not our wealth. It's not even our happiness. It is our holiness, our Christ-likeness being conformed to his image. That's his overriding purpose. That's what he cares about. That's God's main goal. And even though sickness is not good, God can sometimes use it to bring about his goal, namely conforming us to the image of Christ. Isn't that what Romans 28 and 29 says? And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Not all things are good, but he causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And what's that purpose? Read a few verses later. To be conformed to the image of his son. Just wait till we get to Philippians 1.29, by the way, and this will be real clear. We'll do a whole sermon on that. But already understand, from sickness to suffering to persecution, God allows these things in our lives at, time to, at times to purify us, to test us, to refine our faith that we would be more like Christ. One more here, number five. A fifth major reason, reason God allows sickness to magnify his power, glory, and grace. To magnify his power, glory, and grace. The purpose for which God created the world is his own glory. The purpose for which he created us is his own glory. The purpose for which he allowed this creation to fall is his own glory. And the purpose for which he sought out to redeem this creation is his own glory. 
Sickness fits into this. Sometimes God allows sickness to magnify his power, his glory, and his grace. Isn't that what Jesus said back in John 9, 3? Why was that man, why was that man blind from birth? Think about all that suffering. But Jesus said, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. That man's been blind his whole life. Why? Jesus reveals so that God might be glorified on that day when Jesus healed him. Can you, can you swallow that without choking? Something similar happened to Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. Remember the thorn in the flesh? He says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. So Paul says, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. We don't have time to debate the identity of the thorn in the flesh, whether it was some sickness or or something else in Paul's life. But the point is, like Job, God allowed Satan to afflict Paul seriously, producing real suffering. Why? To keep Paul from glorifying himself. To ensure that God gets all the glory from Paul's ministry. Paul even prayed three times for this affliction to be lifted. And and guess what? God said no. God refused to heal and deliver him. It was not, in this case, it was not God's will for Paul to be healed of whatever this was. Why? Because God wanted his power to shine through in the midst of Paul's weakness. That he would be glorified. Paul came to understand this and eventually embrace the suffering, trusting in God's power. And that's how God gets all the more glory. Overall, notice how all these reasons for sickness and suffering stem from God's sovereign plan and rule over his creation. The problem of sickness, is it not part and parcel with the problem of evil, right? It's just the same thing. But if you have a tiny view of God, If you see God as weak and impotent, bound by man's desires, then you'll choke on all these verses. You will have no idea what to make of them. You'll be left clueless. But if you see God rightly as he is, supreme, infinite in wisdom, perfectly righteous and good, then even if you don't have it all figured out, you'll at least come to rest and trust in his plan, knowing that he has a perfect plan that he will work out. But it can be hard. Speaking of not having it all figured out, that's the real challenge when it comes to sickness for some people. And with all these reasons for sickness, I'm talking in the spiritual realm that that may or may not lead to physical sickness. It just leaves people wondering, well, when you get sick, did I do something here? Is this me? Is this something else? Why am I getting sick? We're not talking about the medical diagnosis here. That's all good and well. But is there some spiritual connection here? We're left wondering, what's the answer? Well, this may be dissatisfying for you, but biblical truth number four, you may never know the exact reason for your sickness. 
I'm not going to leave very satisfied, but I'll explain. You may never know the exact reason for your sickness. Just think about Job. He was a righteous man. He did nothing wrong per se. Certainly nothing bringing on the suffering that he got. What happened to him? Well, first he lost all of his wealth. He's like a a billionaire basically. Lost it all. Lost all of his servants. They were slaughtered. Lost his 10 children. They were slaughtered. Then he lost his health. He was afflicted with these festering boils from head to toe. So talk about misery. And why did he get sick? For Job, it truly was not related to any sin in his life. This was actually divine testing. God allowed Satan to afflict Job to prove Job's faith and to prove God's unbreakable grace, that when God holds someone, nothing will ever happen to them, namely their faith. And God was magnified. Again, it's a hard pill to swallow if you have a tiny view of God. Nevertheless, the point we're making here is that Job... He never knew about all that. You read Job 1 and 2, we we get this behind-the-scenes, heavenly scene of of God and Satan talking, God allowing Satan to afflict him. Job was never privy to any of that information. He never knew that. He never knew the reason for his sickness. In fact, that's what the rest of the book is about, right? Job and his three friends are trying to figure out, how did this happen? His three friends come with that retribution theology. You must have done something bad. Job was true. He, He didn't. But they're all they're all ignorant, and God never told them the cause for Job's sickness. And so it goes with us many times. In fact, most times we cannot see the causality of our sickness. You can try and apply biblical wisdom and discernment, good. But still, you may never know for certain the real reason for your sickness. Did you sin? Maybe, but maybe not. Maybe you examine yourself, there's nothing found. Most times we simply don't have eyes to see the cause of our sickness. Only God in his perfect wisdom can unravel the infinite web of causality between all of life's circumstances and events. Most times we'll never know. Imagine one day you just struck this terrible pain. You feel like you're going to die. You go to the ER. They find it's just kidney stones. So at least you'll be okay, but still you've got a lot of pain to deal with. And in that pain you're being a real jerk. Specifically to one nurse, you're yelling at her, you're treating her terribly, you're calling her names, you're so rude and just, you're really mean to her. Eventually they dismiss you, you're going to have to pass the stones at home, okay, fine. Before you leave though, you collect yourself and you go to the nurse and you say, look, I'm really sorry, the pain got the best of me, but you know I'm a Christian and the way I treated you was just not right, so would you please forgive me? And the nurse, she's taken aback. She, she's never had someone ask for her forgiveness before. So she, she says, yes, she forgives you. You go home. Meanwhile, your simple witness of humility and repentance really stirred her heart. She kind of grew up in the church but fell away. So the next Sunday, she decides she's going to go back to church, check it out. She hears the gospel. God works in her heart. She believes and gets saved. But you never know that. You never see her again. You never hear from her again. In your case, we could say God purposed your sickness to to bring her to salvation. But you're just at home saying, why God, why me? Why the pain? You don't know why this is happening to you, and you may never know. You must simply come to terms with the comprehensively sovereign God who uses all things for his glory and purposes, including sickness. Thankfully, this God is also good, so we can rest in his perfect plan. 
trusting him to work all things for good for us who love him. But this isn't quite the end of this discussion. There's more to say. With our time today, through some biblical survey, we've explored the relationship between sickness and sin. In general, all sickness is connected to sin via the fall, just the consequences of a fallen, cursed world. Specifically, there may be a direct connection between sickness and sin, but then again, there may not be. There are many reasons God allows sickness in this world, and you may never know the exact reason for your sickness. Still, God is working out all things according to his perfect plan, ultimately for his glory. These are admittedly meaty truths, yet you need to know and be convinced of them from Scripture because they bear on your response. But that's something we haven't talked about. How should we respond? I mean, are we left totally helpless and clueless? Are we just told to to shut up and suffer in silence when we get sick? What is the right response to sickness in our lives? What about when we think sin may be connected? What should we do? Or what about when we're pretty sure sin is not connected? What should we do? How does God want us to respond? Today, we covered the biblical relationship between sickness and sin. But next week, we're going to come back. We're going to cover the, the biblical response to sickness and sin. So admittedly, this study is incomplete until then to come back next time. We're going to have a lot more to say next time, and we'll answer more questions. But suffice it for now, already with your your biblical understanding of, of the relationship between sickness and sin, let me just say this. Already you can say, or I can say to you, don't let your sickness cause you to lose hope in God or to doubt God. For some people, their sickness produces doubt in God, bitterness toward God. They think, God, how could you do this to me? How could you let this happen to me? Why wouldn't you take this from me? And it can, a real root of bitterness can spring up there against the Lord, as if he's not good or not in control. But, but as we've learned, you've got to realize, look, we live in a fallen, sin-cursed world. You are fallen and sin-cursed, and you're going to go down. So in other words, eventually, all of you are going to get sick and die. Every single one of you is going to get some sickness that will not be healed and you will die from it. And if that's all we have look if that's all we have to look forward to then yeah that is depressing and we have no hope. But that's not all and that's not what we look forward to. Christ died to redeem us body and soul, spiritually and physically. Right now by placing your faith and trust in him as Lord and Savior, you can be born again, made new in the inner man granted eternal life, and that new eternal life begins now, but not for your bodies. Rather, though our inner man is being renewed, our outer man decays, we await the resurrection for the redemption of our bodies, through which Christ will fully conform us to his image. But your body right now, it's not going to make it. It's not going to make it there. But just as Christ suffered, so he also rose to new life. And in the future, he will raise us to new life with new bodies as well. So our hope, it's not here, especially physically. Just don't place your hope in health. It's not going to happen. Our bodies are, are going down. But in the resurrection, that's when our redemption will be made complete. So let that be your hope because that produces endurance. Even if you get sick, don't lose heart. Make Christ 
your treasure in life, not health. That way, when your bodies do give up and you die, well, at least you get more of your treasure. You'll get more of Christ. And then, and only then, can you rejoice, even in the midst of your sickness, like Paul did, and he says in Philippians 3, verses 10 through 12, he rejoices that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He says in verse 12, not that I've already obtained it or I've already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. May Christ your treasure long for him and his return. And let's press on. Until next time, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. Uh, For some, perhaps a a shocking time, a, a new time, but for us, a comforting time, a reassuring time. This is a fallen world. We understand the effects of sin and the curse on this world. You were just in your judgment. In fact, you were merciful not to wipe out Adam and Eve from the beginning. For you have a great plan of redemption through which you will glorify yourself by saving and redeeming this world and many in it. Still, Lord, the world is, is fallen and cursed right now, and so are our bodies. We will get sick. We will suffer. We will die. Just like Christ did, though he was innocent, we are not. Yet, we thank you for his perfect redemption, that you loved us enough to send Christ to die for us, to redeem us, body and soul. We delight in the fact that we've been made spiritually new, born again. Yet, Lord, we still suffer and decay. So we long for Christ's return and with it, our resurrection. We thank you for raising him from the dead, the first fruits from the resurrection. And that, that's now our hope, not this life, but the next. Our treasure is not health and wealth here, but spiritual health and wealth there with Christ, made new, living with him on high forever. And so then may we endure, may we press on in this hope and trusting you in the midst of our sickness. Until next time, Lord, we, we pray you keep us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.